dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I am sharing a masterclass on Cabernet Franc and Cab Franc Day. As the founder of Cab Franc Day, it always blows my mind when I see an event like this happening. Thanks to Nita and Kanal Mittal of LXV and Paso Robles for putting together this incredible event. Thanks to Wes Hagen for his wonderful presentation celebrating the best grape variety. The event took place in a large barrel room, so I apologize upfront for the quality of the sound, but I hope you stick it out because there is great conversation and the comparative tasting is extremely educational. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Did you know you can do it right now while you're listening? New ratings and reviews are how algorithms decide which podcast they recommend to others. And if you love the podcast, other wine lovers will too. Plus, I have some exciting news. I was just mentioned in Forbes magazine as a top 25 podcast to listen to. So don't forget to add your email address on our website to keep up on all things exploring the wine glass. Slancha! Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, Day service, champagne and Cotteron specialist, and a WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. You are so special, even in the Bible. Uh, I'm a winemaker, wine educator, uh, ADA petitioner from San Marcos County. Um, so I feel a little uh, conflicted today. Uh, 30 years of San Marcos wine here in Paso, saying stuff like, you have such better collaborators. You have such a better culture happening right now. And I was always wondering why people drove right by San Marcos to come up to a hotter, further place. I'm starting to understand why. So congratulations on the culture here. You've made me feel welcome, and I'm absolutely in love with Pastor Robles wine. So a lot of people today have been asking me why Cardinal Richelieu. Well, Cardinal Richelieu was a 17th century uh, minister in France under uh, King Louis XIII. He consolidated power in, uh, in France, and he was a absolutely brutal and efficient man that worked behind the scenes of, of, of both the papacy and the French king. He was a lot like Capron. He kept things moving in the middle of France in the same way that Capron keeps moving in the Bordeaux land. He was specifically the acidity and maybe a little bit of the complexity of the French culture at the time. So we'll talk a little bit and why today. December 4th is his, the anniversary of Cardinal Richelieu's death. And if you were the three musketeers, and you always also come up, uh, of course, you would say, good, he's dead, he's the bad guy in Three Musketeers. Uh, and if you were a Huguenot, you probably wouldn't like him very much anyways. But we love Cardinal Richelieu today because, as we'll find out, he is responsible for bringing the Cabernet Franc to the world. You can see a couple of my favorite quotes from Jancis Robinson. Um, she's not a huge enthusiast, uh, enthusiast of sexual stereotyping anymore. But even I can see a Cabernet Franc might be described as a feminine side of Cabernet Franc. Something fragrant and gently flirtatious rather than massively muscular and tough. Because Cab Sauv has so much more everything, body tan, alcohol color, 
Uh, it's often supposed to be necessarily superior, but I have a very soft spot to for it's more charming and more powerful than I broke it. Captain Brock kind of reminds me of Captain Sauvignon is a lot like heavy metal, three notes way over and over so loud we have attention. Captain Brock is a little bit more jazzy, uh, a little bit more complex as the, move, as the moment moves on in our class. In addition to the 100% versions I made for Stephen Kent, Captain Brock is an indispensable part of blending my flagship brand, natural blending partner in Bordeaux. In my mind, Captain Brock is the id. So the id is the desire, the ego is how we picture the desire, the super ego is a societally accessible way to go ahead and get what you desire. So id is desire. So hopefully, uh, relentlessly and lubriciously, I like that word, I'm going to put that back into my vocabulary, driving flavors and aroma and structure forward to a very long conclusion. So I thought it would be nice to hear from a Brit and hear from someone who's been working with Capcom just about as long as they want And of course, the nurse is, what, eighth generation? One minute. I might as well go on the other side, so if I see Steve, he's like, did you just say we were on the set? So a couple things about Cat Collins you might know. It was first developed in the Basque region of Spain, the higher position of two great. Uh, more Noah and Honda Ridley of Bethesda. Uh, parent great to uh, Cabernet Sauvignon on the low and Carmenac. So hey, no Cabernet Franc. Cabernet Franc really is one of the foundational grapes of uh, French winemaking. Uh, and European one even for that for that matter. The Bordelais suggests Cap Franc has a little less color intensity than Cap Sauvignon. It's going to add aromatic intensity, raspberries, and some violets and spices. Tends to make superior wine in areas just a touch cooler than the greatest region for Cap Sauvignon. I would say that's true for Santa Barbara County. My 30 years of wine making experience there, I find that I'm much more excited about Cabernet Franc coming out of uh, San Diego in general than Cabernet Sauvignon. Well, it's changing a little bit in happening. And then, uh, the culturally, Cabernet Franc, I love that gravel limestone, sand, and clay uh, that you can find generally on the left bank and in some areas in the right bank and on the map. Uh, 65,000 hectares are planted worldwide. If you want to do the map, that's 160,000 acres of Cabernet Franc. Uh, Loire Valley, Bordeaux, Santa Barbara, British Columbia, East Coast of the U.S., Central Coast, Paso Robles. Uh, Hungary, South America, Chile, uh, as well as uh, some places in Argentina, also uh, are, are well known for me. Very important day. So in 1831, uh, our friend Jean Louis arrived in Los Angeles and quickly recognized the potential for French to provide the wine grapes to thrive in the area of Mediterranean climate. Unfortunately, all that was there was the mission grape, Vista, Vista Proviento, uh, which is uh, uh, a great wine that uh, Father Hunter Serra brought, and the mother wine being the San Gabriel Mission. Uh, and then at the end of the 18th century, the grapes built at the time, just mission, were brought out to California by the Franciscan brothers. They grew well and they made a lot of wine, but it wasn't all that great. And our friend Jean Louis was not satisfied. He imported better grapes from Bordeaux. He did not bring Cap He brought Cap Franc. And Los Angeles was the first place in the New World that successful vinifera production occurred in the New World. Sure, there were grapes in New Mexico 500 years before, but as far as Quality vinifera wines. Los Angeles is the first city in the world to thrive. And when Anaheim's uh, uh, disease, uh, what's known as Pierce's disease, took over, it happened to happen at the exact same time at the town Bowl at Sutter's Mill. So all the smart money went away from Los Angeles and the disease to where the money was, which is up north where the gold is, and that's how the grapes kind of moved from Southern California. Although, in that, they really like the story that a lot of their original cuttings came from Los Angeles. Uh, but, you know, we really don't have to go into that. And then, uh, the wine industry headed north, uh, as I said, there was a smart wine that was headed to Northern California for uh, Cabernet Franc. This is a beautiful, uh, uh, sort of a visual provided by Wine Quality, one of my favorite 
um, sources. Again, uh, if you're interested in this presentation, we're happy to send it to you uh, to get our email afterwards. But you can see that uh, that strawberry red plum with a little bit of that roasted pepper, crushed gravel, and maybe a little pyrazine, uh, depending on the, the canopy management. Obviously, pyrazine content is going to be reduced by proper canopy management, such like in the canopy. So you can really uh, kind of fine tune a lot of these flavors uh, by virtue of how the grapes are grown, the region where they're grown, and of course, what really matters the microclimate, basically the, uh, the area in the fruit zone on every vine, which is really where wine is made. You can see that it's also listed as medium fruit, medium body, medium to high tannin, medium to high acidity, and uh, medium alcohol on that four points. We've got a cluster, so we can see obviously the uh, the leaf architecture and the cluster architecture give us a good hint that we see first of all a grapevine has sort of the tight amphorae looking uh, sinus on the bottom and keyholes in the leaf architecture screen hello on the board of the right. Uh, one thing that I would look for uh, on the cluster uh, is, as I'll show you in the next slide, uh, I kind of tend to see that cab uh, front tends to be a little plumper, a little less uh, thin, and the shoulders tend to be a little more robust. As you can see, same artists, very similar. Remember, no cab front, no Cabernet Sauvignon, because cab front is one of the father progenitor grapes of Cabernet Sauvignon. You can see a little bit of difference in the cluster architecture. Uh, this representation of the leaf also shows slightly larger keyholes, but that same amphorae-shaped um, sinus on the leaf, so you can kind of get an idea and notice uh, the more robust uh, shoulder on the right cluster. So the first line, boom. So that's, that, that was our quick little presentation on... One thing I will say before we go on, according to Richard, two facts. One is um, he invented the table knife. Because in the 17th century, he was disgusted by the fact that French people would pick their teeth at table with a steak knife. So he wanted it, so people couldn't pick their teeth with it. So we're talking first about the Loire, where in 1642, Cardinal Richelieu rolled in with Cabernet Franc cutting and gave them to uh, the Abbey of Bourguil. And so Bourdieu was kind of the beginning of the Loire Cap Franc and us enjoying Cap Franc. Uh, it's recently become the factory center for Francis pursuit of organic, balanced, and biodynamic principles. I like to say, you know, the Loire is underpriced, underappreciated, and so diverse, it's sometimes difficult to understand. But that's one reason why we're here today to talk about it. Uh, only red wine uh, is authorized in, these, uh, in this actual uh, village of Samur. We could also be talking about Chinon. Talking about Anjou, we should be talking uh, about Bordeaux. So today, though, we're talking about some more. Um, uh, smaller editions of Cabernet Sauvignon and Pinot de Vigne uh, are permitted. The soils of this region are uh, what they call the Tuffeau, which is sort of a uh, sort of a fossilized white stone, porous like all the great stones in the world that produce wonderful wines. And absorb water when it's wet, give off water when it's dry, and also provide excellent drainage and the calcium content necessary for thicker skins on grapes. Grape wines determine the thickness of their skin, uh, skins by, how, by virtue of how much exchangeable calcium is at their root zone. So these type of fossilized soils, just like limestone, just like calcareous shale, diatomaceous earth, and sand in the hills, are going to have a profound impact on skin thickness to reduce the amount of juice in each berry to actually also increase skin juice ratio, which is going to produce wines great depth and joy. Uh, the expression decided elegant with the expression of flowers and chocolate minerals as well as a beautiful 
people read in the Black Bears group. Uh, the Laura Catwalks, uh, they tend to show a little bit more restraint. I like them actually a little bit chill in, in the summer. If it's hot outside, I have no problem putting a little chill on a nice Laura Catwalk and having it with a sandwich or some fried chicken or, you know, duck healthy, anything like that. I find when I want Captain Crunk to go with a more Pinot-friendly dish, I'll go with a little water. The wine in your glass uh, was $20 on the shelf. Buy the glass, $11. $13.5 on the alcohol. We don't know if that's true. The label looks like it's used, uh, that same alcohol label looks like it's used time and time. Let's just say it's a, a lovely table wine. And maybe $13.5 is going to be $12.5 in the wine. This is actually a designation of Le Avignat, uh, from the Vignerons to Saint Rouge, and some more blow up. And you can see on your map exactly where that is. You can see uh, a little bit about the wine, the variety composition is on the different Capron. Uh, the average age of the vines are 40 years, so they're kind of at the end of generally their, uh, the French people say you plant your parents' vineyard, you replant it once per, once per generation, so about 40 years. Those vines are pretty old. At that point, you choose to replant the vineyard and maybe start replanting 5% of the vineyard per year to make sure you're starting to get on a 20 year cycle of making sure the vineyard uh, is always producing. Um, you can read a little bit about the, uh, the, uh, the wine making, but what I'd like to do is just take a moment to taste and open up the, uh, the conversation if anyone has anything to uh, share or their perceptions on this wine or what we want. By far, the least expensive wine I've tasted. By 50%. I thought this was a good initiation to the Philadelphia New Capron. Because I believe the first wine can be lightest and the last and that one can be well, you can't really transport minerals from the ground into a wine. It doesn't work that way. Yes, the minerality of the wine probably, to me, minerality requires two precursors. Minerality requires low pH and high calcium. The question I would ask have you ever had a mineral wine in flat? The answer is no, it's impossible. Low pH the buffer that allows us to uh, participate in the mineral content and that flavor of water. So Chablis, I would say Chablis to me is one of the most mineral wines in the world. Super low pH, high pH, and basically you're growing up on the whole sort of seabed with a lot of mineral So you've got to have high calcium, you've got to have low pH. So I would say the, that kind of mineral grip to me is High calcium soil thickening, minimizing the juicing barrier, and giving us a little more phenolics that are giving us that, that muscle grip. It's, it's an interesting one because it's elegant, but it also has some good structure. You know, these are some of my favorite kinds of food wines. Um, anyone want to throw out what maybe they would like a masculine wine? I used to be a high school teacher, don't make me call on you. <laughs> 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 Where uh, you know, Walker was absolutely devastating. 
And uh, one of the British entomologists who studied Colossera and started working with it, uh, I think some of the first places that they actually determined, I think it was actually a Loire guy who was reading Origin of Species and figured out Darwin was right that they could just bring the rootstock over from where Colossera first originated to the rootstock in the United States to have 300 million years of evolutionary benefit of living in Colossera. Turns out he's right. Texas rootstock, Missouri rootstock, Minnesota rootstock.
Certainly Saint Leon comes for a little more gravelly and tin soil than a lot of other places within uh, the right bank. And as a result, the wines uh, do have a capacity for a little more aging. A number of right bank wines are you know, fairly good to drink right away. The Merlot gives them a flush softness of that allows them. But of course, Capron gives them character, the Cardinal Richelieu's uh, sort of character uh, to give uh, the wine structure a city. And here's the production notes. Again, about the same wine age as uh, the Loire wines that we saw, about 35 years old. This is a modern winery that uses, uh, that uses uh, uh, temperature control tanks for fermentation. James Sutherland said that pretty depth of fruit was put in this wine, old wine too bad with 45 years old. Although the website said 35, so they lied to Sutherland. That's okay, we're still wrong. I would say, with Hemomyces, it's like cheating in poker. Once you notice, it doesn't get involved. Quick heat? Yes. But the Well, it's very, 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 very
I thought that I should definitely rather have patience in America than to accelerate on the potential. So I'm teaching a line that's a little bit of a time machine because the Samurai seems to take me forward to a place where this line would be if it didn't have bread in five to ten years. So it does have a little bit of an aromatic But I'd love to get the focus back on the well and the well. Now that you know, now we have a massive class on the Samurai. I don't have a lot of wood for a young line. My guess would be no more than 20% is. Um, I also like to ask fundamental questions before talking about focus. Is the line fundamentally balanced with the amount of focus it has? And one thing we try to do in the tasting is not choose one to that citation, but wine that truly represent the place and the time that we come. So not a lot of this stuff, except maybe when we get to map at the end. Uh, uh, it's going to be a bigger one. Uh, I like I like the fact that this one is moderately underdeveloped. So we're looking through the production, through the winemaker's application, to really places that come out of the uh, And I do think that this feels more of a Extraordinarily structural, 
wide and focused on what the wine can be used for. The table with matching, and they'll sell a lot more wine. Every reference after three, sales went down an average 1% on that too. Talk a little bit about hunger. So, you, you probably thought I was going to come in with the Blaney. Uh, the Blaney region is down that little pink area in Hungary. Uh, that is the sunniest part of Hungary. That is the place to grow the brightest, darkest fruit. But uh, the wines from uh, uh, Hungary in that Galatian uh, region uh, tend to be the most famous in Hungary. We decided to go a little more cool climate, and we found this wine from Iger, which is up in uh, the, uh, up closer to the northern border. I believe it is uh, right there, uh, right there, pink, kind of the, the little uh, pink drop looks like uh, just above where it says wine country. This wine is 13.5 percent ABV. Quote unquote, uh, twenty dollars. No, yeah. no, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the amount. I'm sorry. You're right. My bad. Uh, fourteen five and forty dollars. Fourteen point five, forty dollars. For me, the the roasted red pepper and uh, after I said don't use references. I guess I'm not talking about. But that the strawberry and roasted red pepper seemed a little bit more uh, evident to me. Honestly, this is the first one we've had that I can really talk about fruit and nuts. So, if anything, actually, it could be five to For me, it shows a little bit of uh, floral character that I associate with seven food. It's a beautifully balanced with that strawberry fruit and everything. Um, if there is rice on this wine, it's been successfully achieved. You could raise the pot, and I would go ahead and. We are my strength to start working in that. I get excited. Question was, question was whether this is the first one we've had that really speaks of sort of capital authenticity. Um, I think the first two wines, I would probably the first one would be Lucky the Nails wine as uh, Loire. I certainly wouldn't know enough to uh, di differentiate the regions of, of Loire, um, but it, had, it did have some authenticity. But this one, I think, has a little bit of fat to it. Um, and as a new world drinker, I think yes. I think there is some cap sophisticated in this wine that has been lacking in the last one because of the Tamarazzi and the earlier wine club because of a very large amount of cross. So you might guess for that kind of biogastic item. Yeah, it definitely has a little roundness in the mouth. And uh, I think that the fruit, the extract, would have been on the balance the structure. Uh, food matches, questions, comments on this people wine? Yes. Yeah, so we're talking about sort of a citrus glade blend. Oh, orange zest. I think we will lose chili. I love it too, because I think that, I think that kind of a roasted pepper, you know, if some of the ones have a little more kind of green energy, and this strikes me as more bright or red. Yeah, yeah, great. I love hearing people talk about food. Not only do I get hungry, but I start thinking about what I'm going to do with one. If we have to question, not so much. Something with sweet paprika. Uh, and, and is this paprika a big hungry thing? Yes. Yeah. Uh, is this? Yes. And, and again, uh, these, uh, my notes in this uh, presentation is available to anyone just by asking. So we're looking at 30 year old vines. We really haven't had anything less than sort of fully mature vines in the line of the spot. Uh, they're against filtering the wine. Uh, to keep fine flavors of their bullets, probably meaning to not strip the water protein for some of the ones that we can run some of the wine with modern filtration. 
Uh, Kevin Thorne's herbaceous leafy nose uh, cuts the full ripeness. Uh, several harvests to get only the perfect grapes. One acre of room where our perfect But it's nice to put it in the, uh, in the nose. So, uh, uh, juicy fruitiness, spiciness, and abundance. Eucalyptus, tobacco, autolase, cassis, truffles, as well as the dominant fruits. Ah, they use four of the cloths of one to The lively longevity brings tension. It is parenthetical, so yeah. Uh, longer to find the palate, medium plus finish rather than full body. Remember, we're talking about a jet. You're talking about the menu, you have a bigger one. We're probably, uh, if the equivalent between this is probably uh, Winkler Zone 2 as opposed to Winkler Zone 3 down in the room. So uh, we're moving from an area where we can grow uh, Chardonnay, even on the edge of probably one of the perfect places for some Rome varieties, um, which generally is going to show and come from uh, a little bit more acidity uh, and a little more appearance in there. Ideal uh, for red meat and game, just about anything grilled. Uh, I like to match the intensity of the dish to the intensity of the wine. So I would say this is sort of medium plus, so it handle, it definitely handles the fat. I like to not only match the structure of the wine, but the level of fat in the food. That meaning we can strip off our tongue by acidity, alcohol, and tannin to reset our palate so we taste again. Uh, comments on Niger. This is my first Niger. So it's the best and the worst Niger I've ever had. I'm not even, the question was uh, the soil and the moisture capacity. I'm not all that familiar uh, with the soils in this region. I do know uh, that obviously uh, soils are kind of when you uh, have a lot of um, biological materials from basically all the breaking down of all the forest materials, we probably have you know, a, a decent amount of, of, of tilt to them and a lot of biological activities. And of course, the higher the clay content, the more the water holding capacity, as well as the cation exchange capacity for changing exchanging nutrients. So if we knew how much clay was in the soil, it would probably be a little bit easier to understand. Um, and uh, if you're interested, I would do the research and get back to that. Uh, and I went hungry about a year or so ago, and we breakfast uh, white chocolate case of hungry. They had uh, a U.S. sentence, and that's where I take yeah, the taste of hunger in other places. Taste of hunger in other places. I wanted to see a terminal wine, and I think we got set up right here. So it's a nice light summer. We got a kind of ready for it. And the first thing that shows a little bit of chocolate, you know, a little bit of sunshine, right? Um, I think Galileo said wine and sunlight held together by water, and this starts showing a little bit more of the sunny side. Of cat and definitely I agree with a little more gratitude. Questions about Niger, Hungary, comments about the wine? Yes, I cannot imagine. I've got to think it's 100. Why would Hungary buy French oak? And by the way, if you do know before the Ancrudel, most French winemakers were using Hungarian oak. The only reason why uh, French oak became in de rigueur of France is it lost access to Hungarian oak after the fall of the Iron Curtain. So if you look back in like sort of like pre-Jaguer, pre-World War II, pre, you know, World War II and the, um, the availability of the idea is that the oak coming from Eastern Europe and specifically Hungary was superior to French oak. So this idea now of all the different French oaks, the Limousine, the Vosges, and, you know, Trance, Aude, all these fancy oaks would not have been recognized the same way in pre-World War II. So French oak is sort of a new thing, and uh, 
I love to bring it up to the Brigadier Tiny just because at first they get so yes and then they ask their grandfather. And they're like, right? <laughs> Even though it's not what we should do. That's an approximation. And now, a word from our sponsor. Josina Wines loves to give back. There are so many fur babies that deserve to find their forever home. We would love to be able to help as many as possible. If you are part of a nonprofit organization or know of a nonprofit organization that would like to hold a fundraiser, please contact us at contact at dracinawines.com or visit our website, dracinawines.com, to fill out the form. How does the fundraiser work? It is super simple and costs your group absolutely nothing. Together, we will choose a month that your group will be sponsored. During the month, you promote the fundraiser just like any other event you'd hold. At the end of the month, we will donate 20% of the sales to your organization. The donations will be made in the name of each individual who purchased the wine so that you know exactly who helped the animals. Our goal is to raise as much funds as we possibly can and to help as many animals as possible. So please help us help as many fur babies as we possibly can. Cool. Yeah, so region two is going to be very similar as, as we uh, mentioned to the, uh, the cooler regions of uh, Central Alaska, such as Willow Creek. Uh, price point on the 40 bucks. I think it's a nice drink, 40 bucks. Speaking of which, I need to make you laugh. In 424 BCE, one of my favorite playwrights, Aristophanes, said, Quickly bring me a flagon of wine so I may wet my brain and get something clever. <laughs> I start every wine to get down. That's what we all do. A few drinks will be more clever. Sometimes it works. Or not. <laughs> yes, yes. Tip your waitress, try the meal. Yeah. The more you drink, the better you are. That was actually a cool one. Uh, so we're drinking the 2017 Garage Wine Company. I have no idea why a place uh, down in the Michael uh, Valley of Chile would use that. Description. Let's see. Let me make sure. So we're talking. Uh, Totally native fermentation. I like to say barrel fermentation. I don't know what's really loose from the wine, but uh, they're calling it uh, open top fermenters. That is definitely a barrel fermentation. Caps were punched down by hand because you know, humble versions were wussies. Yeah, real ones made by punching down. I'm just saying. I believe it's humble. Native ferment uh, has a look at how Kishikuba is. It's using an active fermenting wine to ferment musk. So Kitakuba just basically means taking the old sherry technique to keep the yeast going. It's uh, very Presbyterian, in other words, cheap. <laughs> no temperature control on fermentation. I love that. Oh, just a pinch of sulfites. I'm just saying, I hope they actually measure it. Um, but they said these uh, pitches sulfites after an active uh, for the winter days. And uh, they're taking notes a little closed but solid. Bridal zone character without excessive mintiness. I guess that might be an issue in Chile. If they say without excessive mintiness, trust me, that means it's an issue down there. Uh, Faintly balsamic. 
young. Uh, still very young, but seems to have all the ingredients for a great house in Paul. Uh, Parker, what did Parker say? I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> Although I will say, there's two wallets to change the American wine. One from Dolby and Robert Parker. One got us to sit at the table and drink wine, and the other one reminded us, you know, basically, and, and pushed forward wine culture. I, I think they're both American heroes, even though I talk about smart. Smart about, about Parker. No, no, it was probably, uh, oh, Derek Mossel. Elegant blue-fruited jets with muscles inside a well-cut jacket. Yeah, anthropomorphize the wine a little bit more, but <laughs> hey, that's very French, right? I remember Alberto Belange one time told me that we were drinking uh, a 1995 Escherzo. This is like a young man concealing his character for the future. <laughs> I took all the notes on all the DRC ones. I was sitting next to the at the tasting. The last note I made, I made fastidious notes on all the wine when I got to the Roman Conti. And I spelled it. Oh my god. And my notes were F U dot dot dot. Alberta looked at me, taking the notes, I said, Monsieur, that's the first honest note you've made all day. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, so, yes, it's going to be. I do love how the wines are building and a little bit of mid palate. Richness and intensity. Although this wine does really have some uh, some good some good tannic structure as well. Comments, questions about the wine. Oh, silly me. Let's talk about the mayo. Uh, often described as Bordeaux, South America. Let me guess. They probably came up with that. Cabernet <laughs> Franc could be described as halfway between a ripe Sauvignon and a crisp Chinon, but uh, has very much its own identity. So we were looking at the upper uh, uh, runs along the eastern edge of Andes, warm sun, obviously uh, big diurnal shift, creates great contrast brightness and acidity. The central low lying uh, area to the west, warmest and driest, clay based fertile soils right uh, uh, along the soils of the Rainbow. So it's going to be a little more alluvial, probably a little more gravel and sandy. And the lower Rainbow has a lot of coastal influence, the Pacific Ocean creates one. With a little bit of pressure acidity and longer hand time, I would say too. We were talking about varietal history. My, my feeling is this is still a typical wine that smells of water. Um, this is definitely a wine that I have a good chance of nailing wines at Japan. The last one, uh, the last wine has a really, really nice Gemini character as well. I just think this wine is, um, I used to judge with some German people, and German people are pretty weird in the taste of wine, but they, they like to use the word round. And it doesn't mean what you think it is. Uh, the wine is either a root or an root. The wine tells an entire story or it doesn't. A round wine is a complete wine. And a not round wine means either it needs time or it's not quite really ready. I find this wine very round in the sense it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and the narrative is complete. All, I mean, every wine has had its own roundness today. And again, judging them in 10 minutes, and put it away, it's a little disingenuous, but that's how we evaluate and talk about wine in general at the I'd love your opinion on this one. Maybe a tiny little bit of like a roast and red pepper. Uh, a fully, you know, purisings are a weird thing. Uh, all grapes start with methylated purisings within the grape. And the way we get rid of purisings is sun exposure on the cluster. As sun exposure on the cluster happens, the purisings basically change of their molecular bonds. And become terpenes. So you can turn methoxypyrazine into monoterpene by proper canopy management. But 
you don't want to completely destroy all purism compounds. My belief is there are purism echoes. Black pepper, white pepper, and rum varieties are purisms. But they're purisms that have been managed in the vineyard not to be grainy. So it depends on how you really want those purisms to show. This is how I like my purisms I'm a Pinot guy. And in Pinot Noir, we try to eliminate all purisms for a more juicy, bright, sort of saturated character. Especially uh, down in San Diego Hills, where I first learned some more. I think this would be beautiful with some, like, I'm a San Jose guy, but my brain goes to, you know, red and grill, tri tip, piquito beans, garlic bread, on a nice Sunday in a parking lot somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we love the San Jose. We're not famous, but. And the mint is certainly another expression of the pyrazine. And certainly, the Cabernet Canoli has more pyrazine. I mean, that's what Sauvignon means, right? We're not drinking how we sell it. Sauvignon means savage, means animal. It means it better be out of the glass. Uh, the Cabernet family, when, it's, when it doesn't have aromatic intensity, to me, is a slight bit. This is not good. I think it's wonderful and beautiful. And I don't drink a lot of South American wines, so it's always wonderful to experience that. I believe, I want to make sure, I can do that. It's 40, no, excuse me, 50 bucks. You can tell it's small production because it's the garage line. All right, we talked about Cardinal Richelieu. Got to talk about Thomas Jefferson. He loved his Thomas Jefferson's attempts to bring Bordeaux varieties to Monticello, Virginia, was an abject failure. If you read Jefferson's notes on his cancer viticulture in Monticello, it, it reads like a sad, sad story of that guy you knew who tried to come out of some, you know, legal lawyer in LA and come up here and try to grow some grapes, but he wasn't going to get any help, he wasn't going to get any consultants. Uh, and mildew ravaged him with uh, disease, and man, uh, Jefferson did not have a good go of growing Bordeaux varieties or any varieties, especially in Monterey. This wine is grown within 10 miles of Jefferson's Monticello, and I would like to say, very often we say, he'd be spinning in his grave. He would be smiling in his grave, extraordinarily excited that his home in Monticello is now producing quality cat farm wine. I want to first thank uh, the Citizen family uh, for sending me this wine for free. Thank you guys, if you're ever in Virginia, they uh, provided this wine uh, for the seminar. They even pay for shipping, and we know how cheap that is. Very, very looking at the map. I'm giving you slightly smaller pours than the other. Sorry, guys. If you want, I've had their one. Yeah, before. if you want, I've had their one. Uh, smaller ones, we did have one part. Did that happen again? You need the full Monty here. The crack team of Soleil's discovery. Well done. So, yeah, so from the abject failure to go drinkable wine in the revolutionary period, by the way, did you know how much people drank in the revolutionary period? Look it up, I'm not going to tell you. Holy moly! They didn't even consider beer and wine alcohol. You know what kids drink? Kids ate for breakfast? Beer! It's called a small beer because it was, it was basically what you gave your kid before they went to school. Uh, and uh, so Virginia is a success story of East Coast Viticulture. Uh, if you haven't had the Viennese, this is what I think the best wine they grow in Virginia, although I'd probably use uh, a fighting word for the Virginia winemakers, is Norton. Uh, I think Norton in uh, central Missouri, Norton also on the eastern seaboard, often produces superior wines to Zanifera. 
I am an omnivorous cell, but I also know that the one is, is better by using a uh, French American hybrid. Let's go for it. Uh, there are over 300 wineries now uh, spread across the region. Uh, Jefferson had 24 varieties on his property, and of course, he never produced a single bottle. 24 varieties, that's, that's a hard record. So, yeah, the Taiwan Piedmont, not the good, not the one with truffles, but actually, they do grow truffles there, and they taste like a decent mushroom. Uh, Northern Virginia, Western Mountain, and Southwestern Mountain AVAs. Iron Ridge Clay, Sand, Loma Granite. I love Iron Ridge Clay. Uh, Iron Ridge Clay is uh, obviously visible uh, because it's red colored uh, as it oxidizes. And the weather, yes, it's subtropical humid. Serious, serious issues for growing quality grapes in this region. Uh, and then, great, um, <laughs> great sites. So, Pinot Noir Charlie, sure, buddies. Sure. Uh, I will just go ahead and say that I've never had a palatable Chardonnay or Pinot Noir. That's not true. I had a palatable Chardonnay from Virginia. But if they're making Pinot of quality, it has escaped my palate as well. <laughs> Blue Ridge Mountains. Allison Bean. Here today, right from the National Valley. Yes, National Valley is interested in what Casa is doing for Cap Front. What up? You know it is. Right. You? Yeah, no, no, no. they should be. Absolutely. So that'll give you a little bit of uh, information. The, uh, the notes from Simpson were fairly limited, but you can see what they did offer. Uh, 220 to 250 days bud rate to harness. That subtropical maritime and uh, 39 to 40 inches of rain must be nice. Uh, by the way, uh, the homeland of Venebra, between Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, where the fighters from Venebra developed about 35 inches of annual rainfall. So that's why we normally consider about 20 to 25 inches minimal rainfall annually for dry farming. Uh, grapevines really do prefer about 30 to 35 inches of rainfall annual uh, in their native habitat. Since the family, full blood cabinet with spicy tannins, dry, floral, aromatics, and white peppercorn. Whole berry fermented, aged and fresh up. So I guess it was the stem, but not crushed. Stems were taken out, berries were put in the fermenter whole, and we do medical solution for setting up this wine to evaluate East Coast viticulture. We don't drink a lot of East Coast wine out here on the West Coast. What do you guys think? So yeah, we did have one comment that is uh, impressive for an effort from East Coast viticulture. Uh, yes, the comment was that Virginia does consider Cap Front their state one. Uh, I was there with a conference in Winemaker Magazine about seven years ago and did taste about 20 different producers. And I did walk away with a great sort of, uh, there's a lot of passion there. There's a lot of people that are really doing wonderful work. Um, also, a lot of like DC money uh, getting out of the Beltway to moving into Virginia. So we're seeing uh, increased uh, increased uh, sort of uh, involvement and economics within the region. Obviously, you know, throwing money at a winery sometimes is a good idea. Um, at least you can afford new money. <laughs> it's, I think this one is a fantastic bookend from Samore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the Samore with more of I get a little more uh, vanilla. A little bit of like uh, a, a little bit of sort of a, a baking spice character that I think is oat driven. Um, 
But the wine, again, I think it's a beautiful wine for dinner. I think this wine can run a number of issues. I think you can chill this down a little bit and have it as a sort of picnic wine in the summer. And certainly would match with a lot of cuisine. I think it's an amazingly food-friendly wine. And I think the purazine level is absolutely really quite nice, too stunning for an East Coast wine. East Coast California can easily get pretty green. Mm -hmm. And I don't find this wine specifically great. I find it actually more elegant and uh, quite lovely. Any other uh, comments about some Virginia California? <coughs> Price point is, I'm not sure I did an accurate assessment. Uh, I did not actually get it was free. Um, I looked at that, I think about 40 bucks. Uh, so I think the Crocker and Star Napa was pretty similar winery. So, most of my suspicions are my recommendations. Crocker and Star was purchased from a wine shop in Napa, that Jeff had access to and gave my receipts to Hungary. This will always be given to us probably on their website. That one was as a follow up to this seminar, I will send all to the presentation as well as a link to purchase uh, all the different wines and regions. And I want to work on different wines and regions for this presentation. Next year we'll be able to this. Because this way more these platforms to these regions and we could cover once another going on. Alright, let's finish strong. So uh, we will be pouring uh, the last wine. Uh, first known Cabernet Franc in the region was blended in 1949 to the Terrace, which was originally part of Total Wine. We have Cedric in there in 1949, Cabernet Franc in the region. I appreciate uh, letting you know how to pronounce that correctly. 1,211 acres of Cabernet Franc in distant Napa, compared to 24,000 acres of Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, but look at this. Uh, not only, I mean, obviously, uh, the best cat farm in Napa is probably some of the same region where you're seeing some of the highest quality cat. Saw Hollow Mountain, Mount Deer, Dining Mountain, Spring Mountain, wines that are generally in excess of $150 a bottle. Um, the Mountain Planting is obviously an amazing wine. In 2019, uh, you're looking at about 8,000 uh, ton for Cabernet and about 10,000 ton for cat farm. So, the desire and basically uh, supply and demand have a huge effect on cap farm pricing. And uh, if you know the Australian model, take a ton price. One percent of the ton price should be the approximate bottle cost of the wine. If you spend ten thousand dollars a ton for your fruit, that should make a hundred dollar bottle of wine. If you spend five thousand dollars for a ton of fruit, it should make a fifty dollar bottle of wine. Uh, moderately rocky gravelly soil with medium to high drainage. One reason why the hillsides do so well. Especially areas with alluvial fans moving west from my concert, uh, on my concert range. Uh, the alluvial fans are obviously the areas where the geological material breaks down into a slightly higher bigger situation, which tends to make one uh, and uh, produce uh, a pretty uh, crop of fruit. Such soils are so granular, uh, such uh, sort of large soil particles that gravity pulls water away from the vines, forcing the, the roots to chase after it. And the result of a little bit of um, deficit irrigation is that smaller berries and the berry size shrinks, the amount of juice within the berry also shrinks exponentially. So just a 10% decrease in the berry size has a very profound impact on the flavor and intensity of the wine. And I think we'll see that here. 
One thing when you're stepping under the apple wine, maybe you're tasting it, is it's going to be a little punch in the face compared to what we're tasting. And we'll get deeper and deeper is the correct pronunciation. So we have a, a, a wonderful expert here up on that that said that the uh, cap rock from Dieter was the first cap rock that Robert Mondavi put into this blend. So that's a huge thing into the high end guys. Yeah. And uh, obviously, yeah. great, uh, a great man, Robert Mondavi. So supposedly he like a, a couple bottles for lunch and a couple bottles for dinner and lunch for dinner and five. So let's all hope we have delivery. The liver capacity is going to be the best enzyme that man has. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. <laughs> and uh, our last white slide, and then we're going to talk a little bit about passive levels. We're going to talk with our August panel. So, we've got a little information here about the Conference Star uh, 2016. Oh, by the way, this is not 100% Jeff Rock. It was a uh, mislabeled. Uh, I checked I check the label on the way in, 68% cap on, 23% cap saw, 7% uh, petite Bordeaux, 2% Malbec. And remember, Malbec really doesn't figure into Bordeaux until you are after 1956 after a horrific cross. Malbec buds really early and they moved close to the Malbec production and allowed it really to move back into the cohort to make that fine, famous black marble. This one, uh, according to the back label, am I accurate on the back label? The blend, yes? Cool. Yeah, that blend, I took it right off the bottle, so it should be accurate. But yes, we're not going to This one is a cap rock forward rock. Just like Cardinal Richelieu, it was all about the entire country of France and the entire country. Uh, so yeah, so uh, four years of drought, obviously is going to be next Okay, gotcha, no worries. And then, so this is, this is right, right tank, wrong bottle. No, not a problem. Uh, standing mild July, August weather, warm days at the end of drawing season. They call it perfect brightness. I disagree, I don't think such a thing. Harvest ended early October, yield of love, very beautiful to make that celery take wine. Uh, you can see that uh, there was a post-harvest harvest rainstorm. Obviously, that's incredibly good for the grape rock. Uh, just like that beautiful rain we had last night, hangs from heaven, getting salts out of our, our uh, soil profile. Uh, 16 is the first vintage house in their new estate wine. So we can expect a very clean wine because there's not a lot of road microbes floating around. The longer you work in a winery, the more less control you have of the microbial uh, population within it. Uh, and uh, the, the low yield, and uh, they, they set out at least uh, twice, so there must be some influence from that low yield. Let's talk about this, Let's talk about this beautiful Napa wine. Who would like to make a comment about it? You guys all had enough to drink it to say something out loud. Or <laughs> <laughs> dance. With this type of intensity, I think we also would have to up the intensity while we ate with it. I'd like to uh, offer a beef short rib with some red potatoes. Butter, yes. As Julia Child said, there are three secrets to French cooking. Butter, butter, and butter. That, that wine is modern, clean, and oak laden. When is the use of new French oak too much? 
I've got good at Mel Knox. Mel Knox sells French Walker Rare Barrels, so he does a little something about a lot of oak. Uh, he said to me when I was a young wine maker at 29 something that I thought was complete and total BS until I was about 40. <laughs> and that was, you can't over oak a wine, but you can under wine is over. Let's talk about Montrachet. <laughs> Fermented in brand new, 100% new Demi barrels, racked after primary fermentation into brand new Demi French oak barrels. 200% new French oak. I challenge anyone to tell me that Morche is over. You can't over oak the wine, but you can under wine. I think the oak tree is just fine. Takes a little away from the right French oak. Correctness? That's weird about oak, is because it integrates into the wine. So, I mean, you put a lot of money into those barrels, you know, $1,000, $1,200 barrel, and then you kind of let the wine, you know, sit in that barrel so people say, wow. And it's, it's nice when you have that photo that your customer says, I smell oak. Because <laughs> that's kind of a magic moment for your customers to give them something that they can hang their hat on. Here's my question. Does the richness and the extraction of this wine help its varietal characteristics that we would associate with Cabernet Blanc, or does it take it away? Do you think... Uh, I'll ask this. Who in the room finds this their favorite wine out of I'm close. I'm, I'm really looking at it. Uh, how about uh, who preferred the summer number one, Blue Wall? Preferred it over this. We'll have some later. I love it. I love it. Uh, how about uh, Helen Bordeaux and, uh, and uh, Lori, who started Cat Market? That gives you a huge. I'm going to give you six points on that. Uh, let's see. You went uh, to. Uh, how about Chile? How about the. Uh, I'm hungry. Hungry. Uh, hungry. Uh, how many people uh, love uh, Virginia? Excellent. Great. Thank you. I thought it was a beautiful one. And then hungry. Oh, man. Don't tell them. <laughs> Raise the damn prices. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, I think there's something to be said that uh, there are places in Europe that you grow extraordinary wine. Might be some place in uh, that's a beautiful site. And then Scott Nap, as we said last time, Napa, we had four or five games that preferred to have more as well. Anyone like to make a last comment on Napa before we ask our panel up here to talk a little bit about Napa? Yeah. Price on this was $80. <laughs> Oh, I've seen your prices. <laughs> Come on. Ben Barbara's starting to follow suit, so I'll just shut the hell up right now. We need to raise our prices. Ours is $34. I like to say one is the only time machine that works. And I don't mean that you get drunk enough to lose, lose track of time. I mean, it takes us to a time and place. Wine is the only thing in the world that is, you can put it in your mouth, it's quantum. It is time and place, and time can not exist without place, and place cannot exist without time. So I'd like to thank every wine grower, every person who helps with wine. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Butt. 
Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kevins. Until next week, slancha. Right now.